0: TNKR Media. Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Presented as always by FL Montreal. My name is Dan Delmar, and sitting in for Michael Newton today is Yuros Molecic. Yours, welcome back to today's entrepreneur. Nice to be with you. Thanks, Dan. Great to be back. Let's start with our news and notes. Of course, on the program today, we're going to have another inspiring entrepreneur. And um, well, there's no way of really sugarcoating it, we're going to talk about diapers on the program today. We're going to talk about uh, baby diapers. And if you are a new parent, you definitely want to tune in to listen to David Zupont and La Petite Ours, who uh, he says he's revolutionized the whole game. And they've had some pretty interesting success over the last few years so that is uh, coming up, eco-friendly, reusable diapers. Um, but first, uh, let's get to some, um, some chat about uh, what's making use in the business world. And this piece from Harvard Business Review on the future of learning and uh, how sort of learning culture is changing in workplaces. Um, we have certainly a lot more uh, flexibility in many cases, Euros, when uh, when employees are remote. It's important that we also give them the flexibility to learn on their own and to sort of pursue intellectual pursuits, uh, because that could be good for personal development, but also good for business as well.
1: Yeah, Dan. And I mean, there's been a lot of neglect of physical and mental uh, health over the last two years, especially. And this article goes over some recommended lifestyle changes to fight against bad habits that may have developed uh, over these last two years. And overworking and not paying attention to your body and mind uh, could obviously contribute to some, some, some bad results. So I think there's certain steps that you could take that may sound simple, but they can make a, a big difference in your life. So as cheesy as it sounds, you need to drink a lot of water. Um, you know, they, one glass of water a day is not going to cut it. They say you need eight glasses of water. a they uh, granted, that seems like a, a lot. It's two liters. Uh, but look, you get, you get water from other sources like fruit. So maybe you set the bar somewhere in the middle and you stick to that, um, water is available to you. It's good for you. There's no reason not to drink water. Uh, it's a little bit of discipline involved. You know, I think people always tend to look for a shortcut with whatever they do. They want fast results. You see that with diets. Um, and you just gotta be, you know, you gotta realize that the good things that you want to last, they, they take a long time and they involve some level of discipline and with a lot of repetition, you know, in adopting these, these good, uh, standards, y- you develop a routine. And I think that's where you you, you want to get it to. Uh, they also talk about taking breaks to allow for your overall productivity to increase during the day, uh, moving more, you know, whether that's some moderate to f- vigorous physical activity that you enjoy, obviously provided that your doctor approves it, um, building some strength, flexibility, cardio trading, The one, this next one, finding calm is a tough one for sure. When you feel like everything is going against you, you need to listen to your body, stop, be a little bit in the present, uh, adjust and adapt. Uh, I think that's a big aspect, you know, in in business in general when you're facing adversities. um, and, And And basically being cognizant of what's going on around you, you know, some people meditate, I haven't gotten there yet, I do want to maybe try doing that in 2022 is uh, meditating a few minutes a day and and trying to be more present, Um, setting work boundaries, that's one I struggle with, admittedly, Dan, uh, what I've learned over the years is that if you don't respect your own time, no one else will. You need to set that tone that you want. Uh, obviously, you got to be prepared for what that entails in terms of other people's expectations of you and manage it. You know. And then the last thing that the, the article goes over, which is a very, very important one, is not to procrastinate with your own health. You gotta get your annual checkups. I think a lot of people have been uh, missing those um, during the pandemic. There was a study that showed that more than 40% of people said they skipped their medical care uh, in the last two years. So you gotta start prioritizing your health, uh, being proactive with it. And if there's an underlying issue, you know, go get checked out every year and see if you can flag something to do something about
0: it ahead of time before it becomes a bigger problem. And uh, doesn't the article doesn't say this, but go easy on the coffee would be my advice. I'm not a coffee drinker myself, but... Uh, yeah. Everything in moderation, that's what they say, right? <laughs> um, this piece from Fast Company, after a health scare, here's how I'm changing up my remote work habits. And this is someone who's telling the story of who was in um, in intensive care with a, with a very serious condition and how uh, she believes her work habits uh contributed to that it's it's really tough to see someone who's suffering at work um what advice would you give if you feel that your your coworkers even are are not necessarily you know m- might be suffering in, in their jobs right this article i mean it it, it goes over how our mind isn't at its best
1: or at its most creative when it's being weighed down constantly by tasks and projects. Like as soon as you wake up, Dan, you got a million things going through your mind of what you need to do that day. You know, decisions you got to make right away when you get up. And I think the author of the article is getting that point across that you know, you need to do almost like a brain dump. And that's essentially taking a few minutes, whether it's the night before or the beginning of the day, to empty your mind. You, you'll have negative thoughts, uh, undoubtedly that are going to go through your mind and you got to, you want to really streamline your focus of what's most important, leaving room for new ideas to flourish. Um, and another thing is, you know, using your, your passions and incorporating them into your day, like make room for things that you really want to do. Um, and that's going to help propel you for the rest of your day. It's going to give you motivation because not everything in in your job or your career is going to be full of stuff you love to do, you know? So you got to just be okay with that. You know, there's parts of your job and sometimes bigger parts, depending on the time of the year that um, are are things you just don't want to do. But the reality is you got to do them. And, uh, uh, you know, according to psychology today, there was a PhD contributor that posted something very interesting that individuals who are passionate for their work, whether scientists, entrepreneurs, operation managers, whatever else, are able to use the energy from their passion as a motivator for their other work. So there's definitely a lot of power at play here if you focus your energy correctly. And it's building the right amount of momentum
0: from that activity that you enjoy to propel the rest of your day. Let's go to this piece from Inc.com. A new study reveals the top three small business cyber threats that you've probably never heard of. Um, let's go through them uh, one by one. What are your thoughts on these uh, these big three?
1: Yeah, Dan. So it was a study in January 2022 by a San Diego-based CyberCatch, that's a, super, a cybersecurity platform provider, and it was focusing on small and medium businesses, and basically revealing that more than 30% of small businesses. And bear in mind that it was a U.S. study, uh, but I'm sure there's a lot of similarities here in Canada. Those businesses have weak points that hackers can exploit. And basically fraudsters, they set their sights on things that are easier. So smaller businesses, smaller companies, because they have weaker safeguards in place. So what are the common threats? Well, someone could use a fake IP address to masquerade as an authorized device. And their goal is to really tap into the company's private system They could be sending out phishing uh, scams. You you know, we've all received those emails where there's a clickbait. They want you to click on something that looks benign in your browser. But actually, you know, it's basically giving them access to to your your computer and your database. So um, one of the studies that that was done, it was conducted by IBM a few years back, found that 23% of all security breaches are caused by human mistakes. So what is that? Weak passwords, answering spam emails, you know hovering over a, uh, hovering over a link but not realizing that it's going to take you to a URL on a website that isn't where you should be going based on what the link describes. And with the amount of emails that go around in today's world, Dan with more people working remotely, you know emails are one of the main tools of communication. So what can you do as a small business to protect yourself? Well, just having an IT person or a team is not enough these days. You need prevention detection, uh, and a response controls, basically like a disaster recovery, recovery plan, but for cybersecurity threats. So having a, a perimeter security, a firewall, spam protection, training your employees is a, is a very big one, holding seminars in-house. Your team members should know about the different types of phishing scams that are going on right now, the most relevant ones they should be aware. And the last thing I'd say is establish a strong password policy. You know, we often see now with bigger softwares, two-step verification processes. You know, those are definitely good to make sure that the user going on is the intended user. Um, and and, you know, maybe one last thing is to test what you've implemented to make sure it works. Don't just put all that effort and put something out
0: there and then let it go on autopilot. You got to be aware and on top of things all the time. And time to get to our entrepreneur profile. A very interesting idea, very uh, on point for a generation of millennial parents who want to be eco-conscious. Let's welcome in David Dupont, owner of La Petite Ours. David, welcome to today's entrepreneur. Thank you. Thank you. Very glad to be here. Looking forward to this. So, before we, uh, we get into the in
2: depth profile, the easiest question what is Le Petit Tours? Uh, perfect. Uh, really quickly, Le Petit Tours is a cloth diaper company. Uh, we're replacing disposable diapers. Uh, I'm talking about millions of disposable diapers every, every year, not going to the landfill. Uh, so, accessories, making it easy and fun for parents to do it.
0: Excellent. And Euros, uh, really a great uh, example of a young business that I think is appealing to uh, a new generation of. Eco-conscious parents,
1: definitely, definitely, Dan and um, David. I'm so excited to have you on. I have two young children, uh, my own three and and four and a half, so I, I know the drill in terms of what's uh, what what uh, soil diapers and all that yeah. stuff involves. So, I'm um, I'm curious to hear. You know, maybe you can run us through how it replaces the I guess what most people in in my generation would know as a disposable diaper. So, from my understanding. You know these these reusable diapers did exist, in fact, previously, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, they've been around forever. I mean, your parents were probably using that on you. Uh, It's just that they're so evolved now. It makes it so easy to use uh, cloth diapers. Basically, you're taking a diaper uh, that's that's waterproof on the outside. On the inside, you have something to absorb the pee. And what people don't know, and people think it's disgusting to, to to you know play with poo and scrape off the poo. You do not dirty your hands anymore. Like I. Guarantee it. There's a little net that you put, I didn't bring it because we're on the radio, but there's a biodegradable liner. You just place it at the bottom of the diaper. So when you change your diaper, that's what you remove. Anything stinky and solid is gone. So by that point, all you have left is these bamboo inserts full of urine that you just keep in a bag for three days and then just put everything in the wash, and you're done. So every time you do that, you're saving the environment, you're saving money, and it's just working. And believe me, ten years ago, uh, we were doing baby shows, and people would like they they you know <laughs> no I won't say but they were afraid to come to our booth. They're like, oh no no I'm not I'm not that eco friendly. Like I'm not willing. But now that it's demystified we we have lineups when there used to be baby shows obviously uh but we'd have lineups for for like for days we we'd sell about five or six thousand diapers in three days It was ridiculous people would like line up and they wanted to hear about it wanted to know about it and then when they found out how easy it was then then it, it was simple for them to make the purchase
0: so david you're clearly very passionate about this it sounds like it came from a
2: personal experience tell me about the origin story yeah, sure, sure. So uh, Agatha and I, uh, we're, we, we've always been kind of entrepreneurs and, and we had real estate, we've, we've done a bunch of stuff. Uh, but when we had babies at first, my, my, my oldest is now 10 years old, he has pretty much the same birthday as his company. Uh, and there's that's not a coincidence. Uh, we were shopping for all sorts of stuff, you know, uh, the, the crib and everything, baby clothes. but. We soon realized that diapers were by far the the most expensive thing that a family was going to buy for the next like two or three years. Uh, So so we started looking into cloth diapers for ourselves and realized that there was this little gap in the market where people were spending almost $1,000 on their kit uh, because most of them were, were, were companies that were made in Quebec made in Canada, which is fine. There's, there's a, a huge need for, for, for these companies to be there. Uh, but we came in and we said, you know what, we're gonna source, we're, we're gonna have our companies made from trusted suppliers. We went to China uh, soon after uh, finding our supplier uh, to, to build that relationship. So it, it came from that basically saying, you know what, let's do it with our children. So our products have been tested on our two boys, they're now eight and 10. Uh, they survived the tests and, uh, and now the company uh, is soaring because of those two little boys uh, testing our products.
1: And how much has social media played a role in, in, in spreading the message of, you know, using the reusable diaper versus the disposable
2: one? Well, look at it this way. Uh, our target market are women between the ages of like 23 to 37. How important is social media for these people, you think? It's incredible. Right. Uh, I mean, are the engagement on Facebook at first, like once we started, like we have like, I think like 30,000 people now on Facebook. Uh, but before, even when we had like eight or 10,000, these generic posts would, would, would have like, you know, I don't know, like 2000 likes and, and sometimes 600 shares. So mothers wanted to tell other mothers how exciting this new thing, this new trend was. And now it's moving towards TikTok, Instagram, you name it. Uh, we have to adapt, right?
0: So is that your main marketing vehicle then? Uh, Is social media the way that, uh, you found uh, the most success in marketing?
2: uh there's a there's we've always had two legs to our growth uh so yes for for the b2c or the or business the client sales for sure like instagram uh, uh email marketing that, that kind of stuff but a lot of it was word word, word of mouth moms and mom, moms and, and they push set clubs uh, doing their exercise and showing off their new diaper prints. Uh, so, but like that part has been super important, but the B2B side also put us on the map. We have 400 retailers now only in Canada. We have retailers uh, across Europe and we have, uh, we have retailers in the US as well. So just being present where, where families are shopping is just as important for a for, uh, uh, company uh, reliability and, and name. In terms of your own
0: marketing, you being the spokesperson, you're very energetic and passionate about the product. Uh, in terms of just coming right out with talking about poo and pee, you kind of just volunteered that right off the top. You know, in the old days, we used to be in advertising, there used to be like the blue liquid in the TV ads. You know, no one would talk about this in such direct fashion. Is that something that you do consciously? Did you think about whether or not you would be? Talking about poo and pee on the radio and be that explicit in your marketing?
2: <laughs> I'm selling diapers, right? Uh, and you know what? We're, we're parents. Like we're like like I know what it's like to change diapers. I was actually a stay at home dad. Like a, so, I'm a bit too passionate. I don't know why I've always liked this, but uh, my team is is I drain my team. I have too much energy. But anywho, uh, so uh, yes, I mean, I change diapers. Like how many diapers did I change? I know the reality of being a parent. I've been. Vomited on by my child. That's what it's like, you know. And, and now they're eight and ten. It's different challenges, but for sure, those first few years are pretty hard. Uh, and and why sugarcoat it? It is what it is, right? We're we're just true to ourselves, I guess.
1: And the the company is is going on ten years. You're saying, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, soon yeah. ten years.
1: And how have you managed, you know, the success and the growth of the company, and in terms of, you know. Also, being present with with your own family, I think a lot of people s- struggle with that in, in general, with boundaries, with with uh, you know running a business and uh, being present in their in their personal lives. So, what's your recipe for success there?
2: <laughs> I, I'm 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 uh, going to be uh, contrary to what most entrepreneurs would say, like oh, I work like 80 hours a week, and I have. To because that's the only way we're going to go. No, no, no. I'm seriously uh, minimal effort, maximum results. So you work smart. Everything you do has to be smart. So we outsource anything we can't handle. And, uh, and we, we build these trusting relationships around the company. And, and it's based on those relationships that we can scale because we realized quickly, like <laughs> in the first years, we started in the kitchen, right? Uh, because we didn't have a basement. And then it was, it was growing too big. So we, we, we actually had a, a basement dug out. Under the home, so we lived to the house. Put, put the company in the basement. Six months later, still too small. Moved to uh, our first official location. Six months later, I, a, a container was coming, and the lady says, "Like you're like like I've I've Googled it. Uh, uh, it's not going to work. You know, I I know where it's going." And, and I said, "Don't worry, I have a plan." I didn't have a plan, but then we we got her first warehouse. It was a 4,000 square uh, square feet warehouse. And then from there, we were like, oh, it was too small. After after about a year and a half, it was too small. So we said, okay, let's go to like 15,000 feet. So we have room to grow or let's look for better alternatives. Because at that time we were working way too hard. Uh, So we actually now uh, established a The biggest and best decision we've made is a partnership with a 3PL, a third-party logistics. So it's a fulfillment center. So they receive our containers and they're part of our family. And you see how we are. There's empathy and there's really strong relationships in everything we do. So that third-party logistics is there to help us and and, and deal with the day-to-day. So I don't work that much to answer that question. (laughs) You have the hit product.
0: You're resonating on social media. People are loving you. And all of a sudden you're, you're telling us, you're outgrowing your basement. You're outgrowing your warehouse. Tell us about the journey as you're growing and how to grow responsibly if you are in that lucky situation of having a hit product.
2: Yeah, oh, perfect. Uh, we've always been a, a really lean company. We, we've tried to be... Uh, it's, Okay. The first few years, we were always out of stock, like always, always out of stock. And then we did the opposite We said, okay, okay let's never be out of, a, out of stock again. And then, and then inventory went crazy. We were up to like 1.3, 1.4 million of, of, of inventory. Uh, and we're like, okay, uh, we're talking about like, you know, hundreds of thousands of diapers. And then we're like, okay, uh, this is too much, you know, and this is pre COVID. Uh, and then now, now let's scale. So basically managing inventory for us was key uh we're a product-based business we're not we're not offering a service we're not cleaning the diapers we're just selling the diapers uh so making sure that we can follow the demand follow the scale not be out of stock but just have the right amount uh for those three months uh of course then COVID happens and containers get even more complicated and it takes like a container would cost five thousand dollars before now cost twenty five thousand dollars so like basically all, all i'm trying to say is you have to adapt to the growth and where it's going we're a small team we, we we're six like in-house admin staff uh marketing communications uh logistics and then my wife and i were, were coordinating the, the the whole show and we have an amazing graphic designer shout out to florence she's uh, everybody loves her uh but uh, and she she designs the prints and that's one of the reasons why people love the diapers so much uh so it's to be able to adapt to whatever's happening so so stores close and that we have remember we have a lot of retail stores so COVID happens stores cl- well, then online presence has to be super strong. So, so we actually had—we're uh, one of those companies during the COVID situation that actually benefited. I hate to say that because I know so many people suffered, uh, but it, it, it was like hardware stores, right? Or, People were renovating their kitchen. Well, people went back to buying essentials and diapers by far. Uh, but like it was really, and we felt it on, on the online stores we have across the world. People threw themselves uh, at at, at uh, cloth diapers uh, and 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 it, so it was, there was a really big boom uh, during those COVID years. Uh, and we were able to adapt to to that with inventory planning, uh, with with social media presence. So. All throughout the way, basically we're a small team and we adapt and we have partners that allow us to scale. So Trade Systems, are 3PL in Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu, they're amazing. And if we would not have done that, Then we would have hit roadblock after roadblock because we couldn't scale. But now, because we have them, all I have to do is import new products and I can open the US, we have opened the US market and that's going super well and they're fulfilling US and Canada. And because we have that expertise and you keep on learning, well, hey, let's repeat it in the UK and in France. So we actually have a third 3PL in France Ah, uh, called Happy collie. They're they're actually owned by a uh, Quebecer. That's that's over there, uh, and we have a, a warehouse in UK as well. So anyway, uh, we learn and you you grow based on whatever you've learned last year or this year or yesterday, and you make the best the best decision you can for for tomorrow. I think I'm not sure if that's clear at all.
1: No, it's, <laughs> it's clear. very very clear. I mean, it's it sounds. Uh easier now when you describe it, I'm sure it was challenging and figuring out, you know, at what point is best to do that. When you started, uh, David, did you ever do any drop shipping? Or was it always, you know, ordering uh, quantity, figuring out the right amount of inventory for each SKU?
2: Yeah, I, I I had friends in the dropshipping uh, area, and they were said. They said, "Dave, you're working towards Dropship, but no, we w- we wanted to be so close to our clients. We needed our clients to know that they can trust us. So so w- the first thing we did is we put a two year warranty on our products. Nobody in the world does that or or did that. Now some people ha- have started following that trend, uh, and and we. Because we want the client to trust us, they need to receive their product fast, the quality has to be perfect, so I want to see all of the products that go, and, and, uh, and yeah, and they need to buy with confidence, knowing that if something happens, they call, we answer, they email, we support, like we're always there. Empathy is at the core of what we do, uh, so, so it, 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 it all ties in together, if you ask me. Um, so no drop shipping uh, because it it didn't reflect the values we had in the company. Not that not that drop shipping is a bad thing, uh, but for us definitely not an option.
0: Let's talk about R&D. What is the next innovation? And uh, maybe talk a bit about the material as well that you use for for the diaper. Yeah,
2: exactly. So actually talking about about R&D, in the last months, we've actually launched our first, and in Canada, we are the first, I believe, uh, uh, to launch a product based out of uh, recycled plastic. So our diapers, uh, and and this is where we want to take the company in the next two years because we have a lot of stock rolling, uh, but it's to slowly uh, switch towards using uh, polyethylene that comes from recycled plastic um, so so that's that's just even more sustainable uh, and, and and we've always been really involved in the community as well so I know it's not it's not and d per se but it's to say that the that I think companies that make a difference are are, are, are companies that really do get involved so we support a lot of charities we, we've tried to start to, to have a, a a business set up actually in Haiti where we, we could send products and have people sell uh, feminine hygiene pads in Haiti uh, so uh, uh, looking at the next years, the R&D, uh, uh, I will say, is logistics. It, it, it's, a, it's pretty heavy to, to be, you know, uh, everywhere. We are a small team. Uh, we're learning. Uh, but but uh, in terms of products, we need to stay on top of where we're going. Right now, it's, it's going to be recycled plastic, uh, where we're going to be in a year. Probably a new product coming out uh, that I can't talk about now. Uh, but for sure, Internally, there's growing pains. You guys have asked that question, but it's to concrétiser. Sorry for the French word, but but everything we've learned, we're trying to now bring it down. I don't want to go the ERP route. I don't know if you guys know what an ERP is, but anyway, is structuring what we do so that we can just you know keep on on rolling for the next little while.
1: I'd love to know you know this the statistic also like there's definitely um, in terms of how many you know say it like going green that initiative and and bettering the environment uh, with respect to not having as many disposable diapers around and how you guys have contributed you know to that and like uh, look like you how many have you sold how many disposable diapers has that replaced Uh, i'm pretty sure it must have a big impact after 10 years
2: well, uh, I'm going to make it hard for the competition to know how many we've sold because that's always a, a secret. But uh, what I can say is we're well over 100 million disposable diapers that have not gone to the landfill. That's now. amazing. Uh, so if you look at one kit of 24 diapers, it replaces one of cloth diapers. It replaces 5,000 disposable diapers. So, uh, so I'll let people that want to do the reverse math on that one. Uh, but, uh, but that that's you know a few hundred. Uh, thousand diapers sold obviously Uh, and and just just picture 100 million if anybody is listening and you've seen a full diaper like, like when you're talking about disposable diapers it's not the thin it's not when it's thin it's when it's like soaked up for hours like 100 right. like just visualize landfills 100 million diapers that take uh, what is it 5,000 years I think to to uh, uh, eventually disintegrate and, and uh, you know find find a find its way back to the earth uh, Whereas wheres cloth diapers you reuse them for one child, two children, three children. They're still good, and then you pass them on to your neighbor who's having children, right? So uh, it, it's incredible that the, the impact. And the last thing is you save three thousand dollars, right, uh, in buying uh, cloth diapers. So like it makes so much sense, and the young, the young, and the and the not so young parents are are understanding that now.
1: Yeah I was just going to say real quick like uh, I think I don't know if it was back in the 60s one of my my partners was uh, my business partners was telling me there used to be a service that they would go around and they would own the, the cloth diapers. They would yeah. give it to the families, use them, and then you know uh, wash them for you, give them back. And it's it's just it's nice to see the resurgence of that, uh, all yeah. for good reasons.
2: Yeah, we're actually supplying uh, Lange Bleu uh, in Montreal, great company that do that. Catshoe on the South Shore as well, uh, great company. So so a lot of those services actually use our diapers uh, for for that service exactly, and it makes that even easier for the parents, right?
0: David Dupont, La Petite Ours, great job, Uh, really love seeing entrepreneurs who just are able to not only recycle, but reduce, which is a really important part of the whole equation. So David, thanks very much. We'll have your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in a moment. But first, let's turn to our correspondent, Nick Moraitis, tax partner at FL, to discuss a business owner's exit strategy and uh, how to deal with all of that paperwork, especially when it comes time for tax season. Nick, welcome back. Hi Dan, thank you for having me. And so Euros, every entrepreneur needs an exit strategy at some point, right? Uh, and preparing that takes a lot of paperwork.
1: Yeah, for sure, Dan. I think that you know it's crossing a lot of business owners' minds, uh, especially now. And it might not always be the the best time, um, but you got to consider y- your options and make sure that you you align yourself with the right professionals to do things strategically. So definitely want to hear what Nick has to say about this uh, with respect to some basic tax planning. Uh, in exit strategies
3: it's it's funny because David i am listened to your story and you're just starting out that there's all that motivation and all that excitement and you're building up your business but and a lot of times people come to me is where they've that excitement has had them you know you're into my age in the 60s maybe the 50s uh, and at some point in time um, there's always an exit with a business uh, hopefully, it's an exit that is, is profitable, like a sale to to somebody else. And that's where we come along as to what, what do we do. For small business owners in Canada, one of the things that every single file I've ever been involved in, the first question they're asking me is, am I getting my capital gain deduction? A capital gain deduction uh, basically allows a business owner to sell the sale the shares of his business, of his company. And the first uh, for 2022, the first $913,630, the proceeds is tax free, which is a savings of about $243,000 in tax. It's an actual savings. Um, And everybody's concerned about that. So, what we look for, like Euros and I working on clients, is are we structured so that the business owners can get access to that capital gain deduction on a sale? So, and that requires what? That requires a lot of planning. Uh, Maybe you're not even thinking about that at the beginning in the first years of your operation, that's not in your head. Your, your head is you want to build your business, but at some point in time, you got to start worrying about it. And unfortunately we need time. So we need time to restructure are the appropriate shareholdings there in the company that would access this 913,000. Um, c- can there be multiple shareholders that, that, uh, that get this 913,000? Cause it's by, by individual shareholders. Um, and then we have to turn around and look at the Tax Act that says, well, it's not any business that can get this deduction. you have to be a business that meets the tests of the Tax Act. and it's, it's essentially um, a businesses whose entire assets are used here in Canada. So if you're expanding offshore, they're not going to give you this exemption if you're selling the business that is working offshore. If you've got too much um, cash sitting in the bank doing nothing, you're not going to get that either. So, This is where we have to look at it and and we have to plan. Should we be looking at a trust? Because now the family gets involved and then we can maybe multiply that 913,000. So that's one aspect. The other aspect, which I'll go really quick, which surprises me sometimes, is how well you handle your tax affairs over time. Obviously, it gets very important as closer you get to your exit that you're handling your tax affairs properly because invariably the buyer's going to send in his advisors They'll pour over your books and your tax records, and they'll come back with a list of deficiencies. That's what they're looking for. And those are deficiencies that are going to maybe cost the buyer X if ever the business is audited. And what are they going to do? They're going to need to come back to you and say, well, we're not buying your shares because there's too much, not good stuff in there. Therefore, your capital gain deduction is gone because you have to sell the shares of the business. Uh, or uh, we'll negotiate something, but just know that there's a bunch of cash that's going to be put, set aside in escrow, and we're going to wait our two, three, four years before you get to see the cash just to make sure that nothing comes back to us. So all this is preparatory work, and, and, and it's, it's time to discuss with your advisors years before you're leaving to get yourself in a position. That's my advice to the business owners um, here on listening to the show.
0: And as we near the end of the show, time to turn to our entrepreneur, David Dupont of La Petiturce, and ask David for your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur, sir.
2: If you would ask me uh, 10 years ago, what are you going to be doing uh, in 10 years? Uh, would I be selling diapers? No, no. My wife and I are actually from the education background. Uh, we, we don't have much studies in, in business. So so if somebody's if somebody wants to succeed, if somebody wants to go in that field, uh, Howard Thurman said... Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go and do that because what the world needs are people who have come alive. So if entrepreneurship makes you, makes you, you know, not sleep at night for good reasons like it does for me, then, then just go and do it. And and then just learn as you go. That's that's the only way to do it. If you ask me, uh, you go to school if you must. That's great. Uh, and if you can't, then just go and have fun.
0: David Dupont, thanks so much. And Euros Malekic, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, great story of a peer entrepreneur, Euros.
1: Yeah, definitely. And David, great job. It's really uh, nice to see you know the 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 story you, you've uh, given us with the business growth. And one quick thing I want to say is, uh, you know, unfortunately, I lost my father-in-law, who's my best friend uh, last year. And one of the things he told me is um, before he passed was don't sweat the small stuff. And I think there's a lot to learn from that. And, and you know, seeing how, David, you've, you, you know, overcome adversities as your business has grown and by adjusting and adapting and probably not sweating the small stuff. So kudos to you and good job and keep
0: growing.
2: Thank you, guys. This, uh, this was fun. Let's do it again sometime.
0: (laughs) For sure. Thanks very much, David. And thanks, Euros. We'll see you back here soon. On Today's Entrepreneur, don't forget, uh, Mike is back next week. We'll be chatting with Sarah Lambert, co-founder and CEO of Aura Medical. And they want to revolutionize physical rehabilitation for people with walking disabilities. Don't forget, you can listen to 13 plus years of Today's Entrepreneur uh, podcasts.